Well, one of the challenges for me in following Jesus is how easy it is for me to compartmentalize my life. Um, By that, I mean, I I tend to think about my life just in some boxes or some categories. So you've got home, you've got work, you've got football, and you've got Jesus. And those are pretty much like the boxes that my life falls into. And because I tend to kind of think that way, then Jesus or following Jesus just becomes something that I do when I'm interacting in the Jesus box. So when I'm at church, or for me, work is kind of the Jesus and work box kind of go together. Um, Or when I'm having a quiet time or something, a quiet time is just where you're reading the Bible or praying, journaling maybe, um, trying to get to know God better. When I'm doing that stuff, that's like when it's time to think about Jesus, act like Jesus, do Jesus stuff. But then when I'm doing everything else, that's time to do everything else. And a way that, that it was first kind of revealed to me that, um, that that is the case for me is when I was in college, I was having a quiet time and I was, you know, meditating on this verse and just thinking about how I wanted to be more like Jesus and asking the Holy Spirit to help me with that and all this. And outside of my dorm room, um, these guys were uh, just making a ton of noise and being stupid and goofy, and that's pretty much what college is. Um, And so I walk away from my quiet time for a minute, and I open up the door, and I'm like, hey, would you guys shut up? I'm trying to get in here. And and I just like, you know, and then I slam the door, and I'm like, gosh, freaking hate those guys. Um, (laughs) All right, let me get back to, uh, and I just realized in that moment that, like, that's not how it, how it looks to follow Jesus. Like, if, if being in the Jesus box is the only time that I'm, you know, thinking and trying to act like Jesus, then I'm not really following Jesus. And what was true for me in college can also be true for me in marriage. It can be true for me uh, even today. As I woke up, um, I get up early on Sundays to just, prepare and read over my notes and stuff. And the first thing that I wanted to do today was text a few friends um, who are Kentucky fans Um, because Tennessee beat Kentucky yesterday. And I used to live in Lexington, Kentucky. And so I, I know a bunch of people who graduated from there who I know the assistant athletic director at Kentucky. He's used to be my small group leader. And so I, I just want to text these guys and be like, how are you feeling this morning? Um, uh, and as I'm like, as I'm going to do that, I just, I stopped and I thought, what is wrong with me? Like, the first thing on my mind today is wanting to gloat over something. But then I'm gonna finish that text and I've gotta get to the Jesus stuff and prepare the sermon. I mean, do you see how it's like Jesus is a box? But here's the deal. And my guess is that, that you are prone to that kind of thinking as well. You're prone to that kind of living as well. And here's the deal. Following Jesus is not something that you do. Following Jesus is the way that you do everything. Following Jesus is not meant to be something that you do. It's like right now we're following Jesus, but eventually we're gonna get over and we're gonna have to work. 
We're going to have to go home. We're going to have to do marriage stuff. We're going to... Following Jesus is not something that you do. It's the way that you do everything. Following Jesus is not a strategy for you to accomplish your vision for life. Following Jesus is the vision that takes over your life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And in this text today that we've just heard read and that we're going to walk through, Paul is going to explain what the way of Jesus looks like. What does it look like for following Jesus to not just be a box or a category of your life, but to actually be the vision that informs everything that you do? What would that actually entail? What is the way of Jesus? What would that look like? That's what he explains today. Philippians chapter three, starting in verse 10. He says, my goal, here's the aim. Here's the thing that that I want my life to be pointed towards. My goal is to know him. To know him, that's Jesus. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Paul says, here's the way of Jesus. Here's what it looks like for a life to be centered on, to be informed by, to be pursuing Jesus. Here's what it looks like. It looks like making the goal underneath everything to know Jesus, to know Jesus. And the word know here is not a word that just means to know some facts or to know something about something. The word know is a personal word. It means to know someone, to be in relationship with someone, to be close to someone. There's an intimacy here. So Paul says, here's what it would look like. In all of your life, Jesus is not just a box that you're doing Jesus stuff in. In all of your life, the goal is to know Jesus. Well, how do you get to know someone? I mean, think about that. How do you get to know someone? You share experience with them. You share experience with them. I would be willing to bet that I know more about Peyton Manning than anybody in the room. And I am willing to challenge you on that in the lobby after the service, all right? (laughs) But in a very real sense, I don't really know him at all. And the reason is because we've never met. We've never shared any experiences. To know someone is not just to be able to tell someone facts about that person. And it's not just to be able to say what they're like. It's to actually share experiences with them. That's what it means to know someone. And Paul says, I want to know Jesus. Which means I want to, in all of my life, not just in the Jesus box, but in all of my life, I want to share in his experience. I want to experience work 
I want to experience my home. I want to, I want to do it like Jesus would do it. I want to do it the way that Jesus did it so that I can know him. I want to, I want to do it with him even. And that's why he says, my goal is to know him And in knowing him, I'm going to know the power of the resurrection. And that sounds great. Then he says, and the fellowship of his sufferings. That is his partnership in these sufferings, his, this relationship with his sufferings. In order to know someone, you have to share experiences with them. What was the experience of Jesus? What was the way, the path of Jesus? If you were going to summarize Jesus's way or path, how would you do it? Paul summarized it for us in chapter 2 by saying that Jesus left heaven and he came to earth by taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he came as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to his father to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way to the cross. The way of Jesus is is a life of saying no to what I want, and saying yes to what God wants, even to the point of death on a cross. That's the way of Jesus. So for Paul, to get to know Jesus, what does he also understand he has to do? He has to be conformed to his death, he says conformed to his death. He wants his life to be conformed. The word means to be shaped, to be molded. He wants it to be conformed, molded, shaped into looking like Jesus and his death. A death that came as the result of saying no to myself and yes to God and a death that came as the result of Carrying the burdens of others. Paul says, I want my life to be like that. What's the way of Jesus? It's the way of suffering, it's the way to the cross. Jesus taught the same exact thing. Paul is not inventing theology here. Paul is following Jesus. One day, Jesus gathered his followers together and he said, hey, if you really want to be my follower, here's what you got to do. Deny yourself. That is, say no to what you want. Take up your cross And then come with me. Because that's where he's going. How do you get to know Jesus? You got to do the things 
You gotta share experiences together. Do the kinds of things he did. What did he do? He took up a cross. Jesus says, so that's what you gotta do. Paul says, I wanna know Jesus. I want that to be the goal. So at work, at home, in football, I want to, to know Jesus. That means I've gotta conform myself to his death. I've gotta be willing to take up my cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? What does that look like? I think it looks like two things. Killing your sinful desires, killing your sinful desires, and carrying the burdens of others. Killing your sinful desires, carrying the burdens of others. That's what it means to take up your cross, I think. To kill your sinful desires, like we've talked about, you're saying no to what I want, yes to what he wants. And it means to carry the burdens of others. It means rather than think about my own plans, my own ambitions, rather than thinking that I'm better than other people, that other people exist to serve me, rather than walking into work and expecting people to serve me, rather than walking into the kitchen and expecting people to serve me, I walk in and I carry the burdens of others. I enter like I exist to serve others. That's what it means to take up your cross. That's what it means to be conformed to the death of Jesus. And in doing so, you also get to share in the power of his resurrection. The path of Jesus is a path of suffering, going to the cross, but it is also a path to glory, being resurrected. That's how the path of Jesus, the way of Jesus is summarized multiple times in the scriptures, is it's suffering and then glory, suffering and then glory, suffering and then glory. That's the path of Jesus. And because of what Jesus did in his death on the cross, and because of what Jesus has won for us in his resurrection, now, for those who belong to Jesus, who have the Holy Spirit, who have placed their trust in Jesus and what he accomplished in his death and resurrection, we have the power to do this. We have the power because of the Holy Spirit to actually kill our sin. Not to, to be enslaved by it anymore, but to actually say no to the desires that wage war against our soul. We have the power to live in a new way because Jesus has been raised. This is what is symbolized in baptism. Before, we were trapped. We were bonded. We were bound to our sin. We had to do things. We were born this way and we had to do it. Because of what Jesus has done in his death and his resurrection, he's made it possible for sinners to be forgiven of their sin and set free from its power. That's what Jesus has accomplished in his death and resurrection. And Paul has come to see that. He's cherishing it. He, he cherishes what Jesus accomplished. And now he says, so my goal in life is I wanna get to know Jesus more. I want to grow in my relationship with him. I wanna know him more. And that means I need to share in his experience. I need to go to the cross so that I can experience the power of the resurrection. 
killing our sin, carrying the burdens of others. An example that I always think about when I'm trying to imagine what would it look like for me to to live this way? Because that can be kind of abstract. Like, take up your cross, kill your sin, carry burdens. Um, That can feel like ethereal and like... um, So what I always think back to is, and I think I've shared this one other time, um, a pastor that's really wise that I've spent a lot of time with um, told me this story about his wife wanting to get hypoallergenic pillows at their house. And basically, I guess, I don't really know what that is, but um, it helps you somehow. Um, And so she wanted everybody in the house to get these. And he didn't want to because he liked his pillow. And he's kind of particular about stuff. And he, he didn't want to have to get a new pillow. And so he fought it for a long time and just, he was like, no, we're not, we're not doing this. Um, and then he came to realize that he would be dead on the floor before he would let something happen to his wife and his kids. He's got two little girls. Like he would literally give his life to protect them, to defend them. He would have to be dead for something to happen to them. And so he thought, you know, a lot of times I think about the way of Jesus, like I would give my life for that. And he said, but you know, most of the time I don't have to do that. Most of the time I don't have to give up my life. Most of the time I just have to give up my pillow. And so once he became convinced of that, then they all got the hypoallergenic pillows. (laughs) And that's what it means to make it your goal to know Jesus. It's, okay, I've got this thing in me. And some of you are, are wired more like this than others, where it's like, as soon as somebody else raises a point, it's like, I didn't even really believe this that strongly before, but now I really believe it because I've got to stand up for the opposite of whatever they just said. And you're just gonna, and the way of Jesus is saying no to that. The way of Jesus is saying no to my sinful desires, these selfish ambitions that, that, that come up, saying no to that. And it's also carrying the burdens of others. It's, it's choosing to be a servant. That's the way of Jesus. Paul says, that should be your goal in all of life. And then he says, I don't want you to think that, that I've arrived, all right? Look at verse 12. He says, not that I have already reached this goal or am already perfect or complete. I'm not, I haven't, you know, figured this all out perfectly. But I make every effort to take hold of it because I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. He's going, look, I've not figured this out completely, but I want to figure it out. Why? Because Jesus has figured me out. I want to take hold of it. The word is to apprehend something, to grasp something. He says, I want to do that. Why? Because that's what Jesus has done for me, he says. The psalmist says in 
Psalm 142, verse three. Even when my spirit is weak within me, he knows my way. Do you know why that's true? Why does God know what it's like to walk in your path? Because Jesus came to earth as a man. Jesus has walked our path so that we can walk his. And I think that's the idea Paul's getting at here. So he says, it's not that I've already reached this or I'm already perfect. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, verse 14, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. He's going, look, I do know Jesus truly, but I don't know him fully. I do really know Jesus, but I don't fully know Jesus. And I want to though, I wanna get to know him. And so here's what I'm doing. I'm forgetting what lies behind. What lies behind? Your failures, the shame that you feel, the guilt, all that's behind. you feel maybe like someone who could never measure up in your eyes or maybe in the eyes of someone that you admire or maybe in the world's eyes. And maybe we could all even look at you and go, yeah, you're right, because of what you've done. Man, that's really sick and you don't measure up. The world could look at you and say that. Because of the cross, God can look at you and say, but you're mine. Because of the cross, God looks at sinners in all of their failures and says, you're mine. And so we can forget our failures. We can leave them behind. And forgetting what is behind means also forgetting your successes. What makes you acceptable to God? What makes you acceptable in the eyes of others? What makes you even acceptable to yourself? Is it an accomplishment that you have? Is it something about you that is better than other people? What is it that gives you confidence in yourself? Paul says, I've even forgotten that stuff. Now, I want to leave that behind and take hold of something better. He says, I, I want to leave that behind and, and I want to reach forward to what is ahead. He tells us what's ahead in verse 20. We'll get there in just a minute. But he says, now I'm pursuing as my goal, the prize. The word prize literally means trophy. The prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. This little verse 14 is powerful. He's saying, listen, this path of denying yourself, this path of taking up your cross, this path of suffering, of being conformed to death, 
it seems to the world like it's a path like this. Like you're just nose diving. That's how it'll look. That's how it'll feel. But he says it's actually an upward call. This translation calls it heavenly. Um, but the word just means it's going up. The call of Jesus may feel like this, but it's actually like this, he says. Why is that true? Because of the resurrection. We'll see that again in just a minute. So hold that thought. So Paul summarizes everything he's been saying like this, verse 15. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this also to you. In other words, if there's any area of your life where you're not thinking like this, if there's any area of your life where your goal is not to know Jesus, is not to experience him, is not to kill your sin and carry burdens, if there's any area of your life where that's true, God will reveal that to you if you're humble and open. Why? Because God's vision is the same for you. He wants you to be like Jesus. He wants you to know Jesus. So mature people, here's what they look like. They look like people who, who carry the cross, who take up their cross, who, who, who kill sin, who carry burdens. That's what mature people look like. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Verse 16, in any case, so regardless of you know, how much of this you've understood yet, in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. That is, you may not have figured out how to integrate your work with following Jesus yet. But if you know that today when you go home, that to take up your cross means to be helpful around the house, then live up to that. So just because you haven't figured out what it looks like in every single area of your life yet is not a cop-out. It's not a loophole to get you out of doing what you know to do. In any case, live up to whatever truth you have attained. And then he turns the corner here. Everything he's describing here is pretty hard. I mean, if you're being honest, like living a life that could literally be described as being conformed to the death of Christ, that's hard. <laughs> and that's why Paul says that you, you're not supposed to walk it alone. You're not supposed to do this thing by yourself. Following Jesus is not a one-man sport. It's a team sport. Look at what he says in verse 17. Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. He says, join in imitating me. In his language, that's just one word. Join in imitating 
all one word. And it means that as a group, as a collective group of people, referring to the church, the community who follows Jesus, as a group of people band together to imitate me, he says. And he's not being arrogant. He's saying, in the ways in which I've just described how I'm trying to live my life, y'all get together and try to do that too. Follow me in this. This is how you should think too. And observe, pay careful attention to people who live according to this same example. And so let me ask you something. Do you have anybody who's older and wiser? And I don't even mean older physically, even though a lot of times that is the case. But do you have somebody who's older in the faith, who's older, wiser, more mature than you, that you're watching? Is there anybody that, that you have like that, that you can go and ask questions? Hey, what would it look like? I'm facing this situation what would it look like for me to follow Jesus here? What would the way of Jesus look like in this situation? Do you have anybody like that you can talk to? Here's another question. Do you have any friends, people who are more your peers in the faith that you can talk to about this? See, one of my concerns for us is that a lot of times, even in friendships where you're both a Christian, it, it can feel awkward to talk about anything that has to do with God. Like you don't know what to say and anything you say sounds really cliche. And so it's just, it's awkward. And so you end up just talking about the Seahawks or your kids or vacation or whatever. And you never actually end up talking about Jesus stuff. And what Paul is envisioning here, the, the vision that he has for the church is that it's a community of people who have a goal in life. That is, we want to be people who take up our cross. We want to be people who know Jesus. And so let's help each other do that. That's Paul's vision. And we can be afraid of it feeling awkward and so we don't do that. Or there are people who just become so preachy um, in conversation that it's like you don't even get to ask any questions or, or be heard. And so either one of those things, fear of speaking up for being awkward or just like, a one-way dialogue. Like both of those things can crush this vision of the church helping one another. And that's one of the goals in community groups is that we would be able to help one another do this. But why is it so important? Why in the midst of this flow of thought does Paul say, now get some people to help you do this? Why? He tells us, verse 18. For, here's why, I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live 
as enemies of the cross of Christ. Why is it so important that you have some people who are ahead of you in the faith and who are with you in the faith where you guys are trying to follow Jesus together? Why is it so important that you have that? Because the natural drift is away from taking up your cross and towards being an enemy of the cross. Do you know what an enemy of the cross is? An enemy of the cross is just when you think, you know what, I have this desire, and it's probably not the most honoring thing to the Lord, and it probably doesn't really serve others, but we're just gonna do it anyway. And this happens all the time. In those moments, that's being an enemy of the cross of Christ. Rather than saying, I'm gonna take up my cross, I'm saying, the way of the cross is not for me. The reason that we know that is because, do you know the story behind Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me? Luke chapter nine, Matthew 16, Mark eight, you can go read this. Um, Peter makes this announcement, Jesus, you are the Messiah, you're God's son. And Jesus says, you are absolutely right, Peter. And he like commends them for saying this. And then Jesus says, and because I'm the Messiah, I'm gonna suffer, I'm gonna be killed. And then on the third day, I'm gonna rise. And do you know how Peter responds? He takes him aside. He said, hey, I just heard you, come here. He says, that's not the way to go about this, right? Here's what would actually be better, okay? If you are the Messiah and God's son or whatever, then don't give up your rights and be killed. That's terrible. Nobody wants to do that. If you're God's son and the Messiah, people should serve you, man. You're not gonna be killed. Just destroy them all. And Jesus says, looking at Peter, get behind me, Satan, because you are not thinking about the things of God, but the things of man. When God thinks about the path to glory, it goes through the cross. When man thinks about the path to glory, it avoids the cross at all costs. That's what it means to be an enemy of the cross. Paul says, many people live like that. That's why you gotta be so intentional about having some people who are committed to the way of the cross. If somebody looked at your life, would it look like a friend or an enemy of the cross? So he says, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Then he describes these enemies, verse 19. He says, their end is destruction. They think that they're gonna, by avoiding the cross, they're gonna build this life for themselves that's better. They're gonna build this big tower of a life that will be marveled at and that where they'll enjoy themselves and they'll be on the top floor and it'll be great. 
But in the end, that tower is coming down. Their end is destruction. He says, enemies of the cross of Christ live like their God is their stomach. That is, we worship our appetites. I want this thing, so I'm entitled to it. I want this thing, so I'm gonna get it. It doesn't matter how that relates to God or others. It's what I want. And he says, their glory is in their shame. Their glory is in their shame. That is their glory, the thing that makes them shine, the thing that makes everybody look at them and go, wow, the thing that they live for is actually the stuff that someday they will be ashamed of, he says. He summarizes all of this by saying, they are focused on earthly things. That's an enemy of the cross of Christ. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, a citizen of earth, they live it up here. They do everything they can to accumulate experiences or wealth or whatever here. But a citizen of heaven says, my glory is not going to be when I arrive, when I finally get into the program, when I finally reach this benchmark, when we finally are able to buy this house, when we're finally able to do this trip, when we're finally able to do this. My glory is not gonna be when I arrive. My glory is when he arrives. That's the glory that we are longing for. A citizen of heaven is someone who says, I am willing to say no to the things of earth because there is something better to be had, to be grasped. We eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here is what Jesus will do when he returns. Here's why waiting for Jesus is worth it. Verse 21. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. He will transform the body of our humble condition. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Now, this is, this verse is just packed with cool stuff. We don't have time to dive into it all today. But I want you to notice this. You see in verse 21, the word transform there. He will transform the body. And you remember in verse 10, if you have a Bible, you can look up and see this. In verse 10, Paul says he wants to be conformed to Christ's death. It's the same word in Paul's language. Paul's saying, I want my life to be molded to look like Christ's death 
Why? Because when Jesus returns, he will mold the friends of the cross. He will transform our humble condition, our lowly body into the likeness of his glorious body. How is he gonna do that? By this power he has, this resurrection power that he has that enables him to make everything subject to him. He reigns over all things. And so someday when he returns, he will come to the friends of the cross, those who were willing to say, you know what? I wanna say no to the things of this earth. I wanna follow Jesus. I wanna be conformed to his death. He will transform them into the likeness of his glorious body. That is our hope. And it is a glorious body. The hope of Christianity is not say no to material things now so that you can float around forever. The hope of Christianity is say no to some things now and there is a material future where you will be with Christ. So, here's what I wanna leave you with today. Following Jesus is a treacherous path. It will take you places that you don't wanna go. It will cause you to do a lot of things that you do not wanna do. It is a treacherous path. It will feel like death. But it is a treacherous path with a glorious destination. And you were not meant to walk it alone. So where should you go from here? First, you should change how you think. Change how you think. What do I mean? Paul said, mature people think this way. Are you thinking this way? Is this how you think about a successful life? Is the path to glory a road, a path that runs through the cross? Or is it a path that avoids the cross? Change how you think. And think about your friendships. Think about your friendships. Do you have a community that helps you follow Jesus? A community that helps you follow Jesus can remind you of important truths when you wanna quit. They can help you see when you're in the wrong. Who in your life can call you out without you being defensive? It's gonna be hard to take up the cross if every time something that feels like it's calling out this thing in you that is wrong, if every time you get defensive when that happens, it's gonna be hard to take up your cross. It's gonna feel like death. But here's the deal. <clears throat> the reason that you can do that, the reason you can be open and honest enough to receive correction on this path is because 
Your acceptance is not based on you being perfect. Your righteousness is, is not your own. Your righteousness has been received by Christ. So you don't have to, to get defensive on this path. Think about how you think. Change how you think if necessary. And think about your friendships. Following Jesus is walking a treacherous path, but it is a glorious destination. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for sending your son. Thank you that because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can be made new. God, would we not rest in our own righteousness and our own perfection, but would we trust in him? God, would you give us the courage to not be an enemy of the cross? Would you give us the courage to be a friend of the cross? God, would we be a community of people who helps one another do this? Would we not be a collection of individuals who are all doing their own thing, God, but would we be one in our pursuit? It's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen.